Welcome to Kingdom.Think. Today we are covering Judges 14.15, Psalms 1.16, and Acts 27. So in Acts, we're going to look at Paul's shipwreck and that part. We're on his last leg of his journey to Rome. And then in the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament, remember Samson was just born? I mean, we didn't even get to watch his life as a child. It's like he's born and then boom major things are happening. So it's already a dramatic story in the Old Testament. And then in between, we have this beautiful Psalms of 116. So I'm already here on chapter 27 of Acts, so we'll finish that off, where Paul is on his way to go stand before Caesar, stand trial before Caesar. And remember earlier, King Agrippa Agrippa said, gosh, there's, there's nothing that this man did, that is, he's guilty. If he had not appealed to Caesar, we could have let him free. So you might think, well, did Paul make a mistake by appealing to Caesar? It's possible that he's like fulfilling his, his purpose to bring the gospel to Rome, to Italy, and to kings. And the highest king at the time was Caesar. So basically, Paul's going to go tell his testimony, his ministry, everything to the great king, Caesar. So did he make a mistake? Probably not. Um, okay, well, I guess not, because that's how the story unfolds. So he's going along, and if you were to have a map, you would notice he's kind of going like what we see as Israel, and then they they sail along the land. So they sail along the shore, and then they make little stops along the way. And at one point, they were in Crete, the island of Crete, on the way to Rome. So it's like halfway between Israel and Rome, or halfway between Israel and Italy. It's in the Mediterranean Sea. So they're in the island of Crete. They want to set sail, but Paul is warning them, don't go because your your ship will be destroyed and it'll just be bad. You'll lose all your cargo. But they didn't listen to him. They decided to go anyway. And sure enough, there was a big storm and that storm was ravaging. ravaging. It just beat up their ship and they didn't eat for a long, long time. And it was just devastating. Finally, Paul... <laughs> With his, I, I think this is a little bit of arrogance, but maybe it was a little bit of influence where he said, if you had listened to me, then you wouldn't be going through this problem right now. Or maybe it was his way of saying, you see, had you listened to me? So listen to me now instead. And then he encouraged them. He said, an angel of the Lord came to him and said they, that the people of the ship will survive if they listened. So he's telling them what to do. Now they're starting to trust him, even though he's a prisoner. They're still starting to trust him because they know that God has shown favor on him and God is speaking through him. And yeah, they lost so much stuff. It's just a a shipwreck story that is like straight out of a movie. Go ahead and read that. It's kind of interesting just to see the, the process. And then they did come near some land. And at the very end of chapter 27, the men who could swim swam to shore and the men who could not swim drifted on wood. <laughs> okay, Psalms 116 is a beautiful Psalms. It starts like this. I, it's, it's actually a Psalms of someone who's very distressed in their heart and they're sharing their true heart. But at the same time, they trust that that God is going to prevail and God's going to win. I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. 
our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. So that was in his his desperation. That's like just pouring out your true heart feelings to God, what what you're really dealing with. But at the same time, having faith that God is going to pull you out of it. What shall I return? So this is verse 12. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness, his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly I am his servant, Lord. I serve you, serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from the chains. I will sacrifice and thank offering to you and call in the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. So it's a beautiful psalms of praise, sharing his true heart feelings at the same time, just even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of just really bad things in life, this psalm, probably David, just continued to praise God in the midst of the storm, which is probably what Paul did at the same time going through his actual storm in the shipwreck. Moving on to Judges 14 and 15, Samson is already grown up and he sees a woman, a Philistine woman. Now, first of all, Samson knows he's a, a Nazarite, so he doesn't eat, um, unle- he doesn't eat um, non-kosher food, all these stipulations he has to follow because a Nazarite is someone who's set apart to be used by God. So there's very specific things like they can't touch a carcass and those kind of things. Well, Samson goes against all those things. He just, he's not taking his role as a Nazarite very seriously. Maybe it's like somebody who dedicates their child to the Lord. Let's say they give birth to a baby. They take the, they take the child to their church, to their pastor, to whatever, and they dedicate this baby to the Lord. But the influences, and so the child grows up, the influences of the culture, um, social media, their peers, the internet, affects and influences them and kind of steers them in the wrong direction. Doesn't mean that they weren't still dedicated to the Lord. That's exactly what happened to Samson. So he sees, but, but the parents know he's special because... They saw the angel of the Lord, so they know he's special. And yes, he does have supernatural strength. So he kind of uses it in many ways the wrong way, but at the same time, he keeps the Philistines away. So that's what it was designed for, and that's why God gave him supernatural strength. Because the Philistines, even though the Jews brought it upon themselves up to this point, it seems like, gosh, why are the Israelites always the underdog? Well, they weren't. They brought it upon themselves. They weren't the underdog all along. They brought it upon themselves. So the Philistines are now now overpowering and ruling over the Israelites. So he wants to marry this woman, a Philistine woman. He tells his mom and dad, go get her for me, which is really weird that he would talk to them like that. But that's what he told them. And then his parents, knowing that he's special, were probably, I, I don't know. Well, remember the parents admitted it earlier in the previous chapter saying, I don't know how to raise a son like this, a special son that was been given to us by the Lord. Um, Remember the father, Manoah? By the way, 
I mentioned that I thought my nephew's name was Manoa. It's not. It's Manolo. Yeah, sounds the same, but it's not. So it's not a biblical name. Okay, moving along. So as he's going to go see um, the, because his parents went first to go get that wife that he wanted from a Philistine, even though his mom was saying, can't you find someone amongst our culture, amongst our people? Nope, I want this Philistine woman. So they go and make an arrangement with the father. Then he's on his way over there. He bumps into a lion. He tears the lion apart, doesn't tell his parents. Then he goes and that he meets the girl and the family. And then when he goes back, when it's time to marry her, he stops by to check out the carcass that he had killed. And there was some honey in it from some bees making honey. And he decides to reach into the dead animal, eat the honey. That's a big, big no-no for Nazarite, someone who's set apart. So he's just breaking the rules every step of the way. So he goes and marries the woman, Philistine woman. And then he puts out this weird riddle. And he tells the the people, if you can um, tell, let's see, he's making a deal. So he's a gambler. He says, if you can break this riddle, I'll give you... X, Y, and Z, some limit, linens and things like that. And if you can't, well, then you give me some. So he's basically gambling with them. Well, the Phil- you, know how, you know how men are when they're gambling? They just get really desperate, right? So the Philistine men go to the woman, the wife, and say, how dare you bring this upon us? You um, find out what the riddle is, or we're going to kill you and your father and the household. So he's de- she's desperate. She's crying to Samson, tell me, tell me. He says, I don't even tell my mom and dad. Why would I tell you? But she just cries and cries and cries and cries. Finally, he tells her. So then she goes and tells the people. And then he, they, the people go and tell him. So now he's mad. He's mad that his wife went and told the, the answer. And he says, gives the woman back to the father and says, Ugh, or the companion, I don't want her. And then he takes off. He's got a temper problem too. Well, while he's gone, the father of the bride thinks like, well, Samson's not coming back and maybe he didn't really consummate the marriage. So maybe they weren't really married because the father gave her to someone else to marry. So when Samson came back after his little tantrum excursion, he said, okay, I want my wife. And the father says, well, I didn't know you really wanted her. And so I gave her away. I thought you weren't coming back. Oh my gosh. He went ballistic. He starts killing people. He went on a killing spree. It's terrible. So now the Philistines are mad at him for going on his killing spree. Well, he's hiding in a rock. And his own people said, how could you have brought this upon us? The Philistines rule over us. What have you done to us? And he said, I merely did to them what they did to me. Um, so they gave him to the hand. They gave him in the hands. They gave him to the Philistines. Well, the chains or the rope that was around him. Because he has supernatural strength, he was able to break through the rope and he killed the Philistines, a thousand men with a jawbone, a donkey's jawbone. (laughs) Maybe after all this killing spray stuff, maybe he calmed down, his spirit kind of settled down because he did um, lead Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines, which... I don't think he settled down. I think it's just saying for 20 years he ruled over, or Samson led the Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. But then to the next chapter, oh my gosh, which we're not reading today, is where Samson meets Delilah. 
so much drama. That was Judges 14.15, Psalms 1.16, and Acts 27. So much drama, especially in the Old Testament, that you wonder why, wait a second, what is this Bible supposed to teach me? Is the Bible really supposed to constantly be teaching you? Is that what we go to the Bible to think? That the Bible has to feed me? Are we like little toddlers where we just are desperately trying to eat all the time? At some point, we have to mature. We have to grow up where we don't eat just to, you know, begging people to feed me, but you actually read the Bible instead of what can it feed me? What can I learn? How can I grow? How, what, what is God speaking to my soul? Not like, am I being motivated? Or, what, or reading something and saying, well, this story didn't really do anything for me. Is that why we read the Bible? To see what it can do for us? No, it's so that you can know the character of God, so that you can know, so that your spirit and your soul wake up, and so that you understand um, the message that God is trying to give us, which is hidden in these mysteries of the Bible that we will never fully know. There are mysteries in this Bible that we will never fully know. And if we only read the things we like, then we will never be able to put the pieces together of the codes and the mysteries in the Bible. I say that because I did just read an article of someone breaking down. Now that we have computers, we can actually break down the codes that are in the Bible. Patterns. It's crazy stuff that is just proves that the Bible could not have been written by a human hand. It's impossible, literally impossible, because now computers are finding the codes, um, patterns inside the Bible. Isn't that so cool? So even though you might read a story and like, oh, I don't like that. It was disappointing, or it was ugly, or it was just an ordinary story of a shipwreck. It didn't do anything for me. Read it anyway, because your spirit and your soul will find exactly what it needs to find. So that was our reading today. Have a great day.